You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. In this podcast, I share a video of a presentation called Rethinking Humanitarian Aid. One of the speakers featured is Andrew Paris. Andrew has done a lot of great work working with NGOs to help promote Lean and Six Sigma in various parts of the world. In this video, he shares his approach and the reasons why he thinks Lean is an effective and useful method for helping solve some of these challenges. This presentation was done at the Berlin Science Week 2021. At the end of this, you'll hear a panel discussion with some Q&A, and we'll focus on Andrew's response to some of the questions. A link to the entire video can be found on the show notes. Hope you enjoy. Um, all right, so uh, my name is Andrew Paris again, Process Excellence Manager at Meta, a humanitarian NGO based near Lausanne in Switzerland. And I guess it's up to me to get there. There we go. All right, so I want to talk about um, improving the system of work. And in fact, we talked about there are a couple of things we can do. We can reduce the need, we can increase the funding, or we can make the money go farther. And, we, and what I'm going to talk about is reducing the system of work through something called lean. Now, some of you might ask the question, well, what is lean? We'll talk about that. So most of the private sector, many parts of the public sector are f- very familiar with what lean is. Um, it's what enabled Toyota to, re- to become the leading car company in the world. It's also what Google, Amazon, and you can see a number of uh, companies who are famous for doing lean um, have done to grow their market share, grow their profits, empower their people also. Um, Specifically, um, according to the Lean Enterprise Institute, there's uh, this definition of lean that it is a way of thinking about creating needed value with fewer resources and less waste. It's also a set of practices consisting of continuous experimentation, and that's where the scientific part comes in, um, in order to achieve perfect value with zero waste. So to rephrase these a little bit, we could say lean empowers and expects people to improve how they do their work through through the scientific method, we'll talk about that more, of continuous improvement in order to reduce waste and increase value, the value that a company provides to its customers, or in the case of humanitarian work, to the people in need, the people who are in crisis, whom we're serving. Lean also has the double benefit of reducing the burden on people. Uh, it's, it's a very heavy load to not have enough resources and have so many needs out there, um, and to have so many crises that are coming our way. We talked uh, initially about some of the challenges that we face in the humanitarian context, um, this will help reduce the burden because we're not running, o- stepping over our own toes in order to get the work done. So we're reducing the burden on employees, promoting their creativity, and also learning within the organization. So what is the scientific part of Lean? It's basically this, 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 uh, this way of formulating a hypothesis about what will work and then testing to see if that hypothesis works. This is the famous plan, do, check, act cycle that was developed by Edwards Deming. And then the plan part of it, basically what one does is define the problem. The problem is the gap between where we are and where we want to be. Uh, The number of people with with food that they can get daily easily, 
for example, the number of children uh, suffering from malaria or whatever the case may be. Um, but we're also looking at this now intern internally to the organization. We're defined the problem. Maybe it takes us too long to get our, our, our humanitarian supply chain needs in order to deliver them to people. Maybe it takes us too long to hire people, etc. We measure the, the way things are currently happening. We analyze it, understand the root causes, and then we put a plan together for how to act, when to act, who's going to do what, all those things we normally do in our planning, and then we implement. We do, we make the change. And too often, what often happens is people will stop there and say, okay, let's keep going, but the scientific method in, insists that what we do is we measure it, we check to see did we make a difference, and if not, we're going to go back around to <laughs> in the backwards direction. If, if we did get what we wanted to achieve, then we go forward, we act, and we, we incorporate the, the new learning, and we, we move forward with the new way of doing things. So this is our scientific approach of Lean, which we want to consider how does this work in humanitarian operations. Um, Humanitarians love Toyota vehicles. They are reliable, they are tough, they go the distance, they don't need much repair. Um, but does the system, and Lean comes from Toyota, Toyota production system, does the system that was developed by Lean also work? Okay, their cars work, but does their management system work in NGOs? That's the question that maybe this young man is thinking about. Um, so we can ask the question, what could the impact of Lean be in an NGO? Well. I'll share with you some experience now. Um, and the simple answer, it's similar to what it is in the corporate world. If anyone's familiar with, with, uh, with the uh, changes, impacts, 40% reduction of this, 50% reduction of that, it's a similar type of a thing. So I spent some time with World Vision, another large international NGO, uh, living in uh, East Africa, working and training uh, my colleagues there in Lean, Lean Six Sigma Concepts. And things that we were able to do is to reduce over a million and a half dollars annually in supply chain costs mostly. Reduce the span time, the time it takes to do things. For example, in, in uh, processes where we targeted, we reduced almost 60% of, of the time it takes to do certain things. And we also began to develop a culture of continuous improvement, just getting people thinking about making small changes a little bit here, a little bit there every day. Some specific examples, I won't go through them, but you can see, similar to what one finds in the corporate world, not surprisingly, uh, processes are, are, have, have a number of similarities, 40, 50% improvements, 80% improvements um, in, in various processes that we took on. So we can get these uh, similar results. Also, what can be the impact? So in Medar, the NGO that I currently work work and we've also realized significant improvements. Um, I want to point out in particular a case study um, that uh, Bubla and I documented on the meta response to the, uh, <coughs> to the uh, Beirut blast back in August 4th of last year and the ability of people to respond quickly, to adapt on the ground, the leadership, communication practices, etc., were really instrumental in empowering and enabling Meta to have a great response. So uh, that's the, uh, uh, some reference on that. Now, one might ask the question, okay, Andrew, you've told us about this thing called Lean. What's so new about Lean? These are some gentlemen who are kind of the founding fathers of Lean. Uh, in fact, there's nothing new about Lean. It's been around for 
30 to 70 years, depending on, on when you, about 30 years ago when the term lean was coined, but, but before that it was a Toyota thing. Um, but, ver and lean now is applied in virtually every, every sector, every, every industry, in governments, militaries even are applying lean. Um, it is a proven approach to continuously improving in the pursuit of excellence. So that's not the new part. Then the, the question is, well, what is the new part? Well, the new part is to apply this in NGOs, in the work, in the humanitarian work. That's the thing that's new. Um, we recently did a, a, a very brief informal survey of a number of uh, leaders in humanitarian organizations, asking the question, do you know anything about lean? And uh, how much do you know about lean? And 87% responded, we know little to nothing about lean. None of them said we know how to do it well enough to teach anyone else. Um, but on the other hand, 61% said we would like to benefit from lean. This sounds interesting, but we don't know where to start. 22% have begun, but still are novices, and nobody says they're, in, they're good at it or, again, could, could, uh, uh, are experts in, in the process. But there's an opportunity here where we could light the fuse and, and get this rocket going if we can apply lean and really have dramatic impact in the humanitarian sector and development sectors as well. So there's an irony in this, and th this is the irony. Um, development and humanitarian principles are very similar to lean principles. So let's go through a couple of these. And <coughs> Um, and we'll go through them now. So the first fundamental thing that you learn about when you're going to do development work or humanitarian work is you need to show respect you, for the people. You treat the people you're serving with dignity and you are there to serve them, not to tell them what to do. You're not there to, uh, to you are there to provide value to them. You're not there to tell them what to do. You're not there to do things for them. Uh, the people who are in need are the people who are experts in being in, in, in poverty or in, in, the, in the crisis. They know what the problems are. They often know what the solutions are. We need to ask them. We need to involve them. We need to work with them. Um, in, in humanitarian work, in development work, we're also trained to do things as simply as, and easy as visually as possible. And it's a great uh, picture here of, of a uh, mid-upper arm uh, measurement for, for malnutrition. Um, it's a color-coded, very simple technique that almost anyone with a little bit of training can do. It, it's, it's a simple approach, and, and that's one of the, the concepts of lean, interestingly. Um, we build people up. We build people up in order to empower them to, to make their lives better. And in inside of an organization, we want to build up employees to make their processes better, to make their work better. And there's this last point here. Create, plan, as we talked about, experiment, and monitor the outputs, monitor the impact that we're having. This is what NGOs do day in and day out. They monitor, they evaluate in the cycle. They do that again and again to see, is the intervention working? Are we having the desired impact? So the irony is NGOs aren't doing this in their own work. They're not applying the principles that they apply in the field in their own operations. But at the same time, it's not just irony, it's also an opportunity. Because, and I've found this to be truly the case, NGOs will also more readily understand and accept and, and be able to say, yeah, this lean thing, this makes sense once they hear about it. Because it is so familiar to them. It is something that is natural to them. 
Um, so the novelty, where's the novelty? The novelty is in applying scientific thinking to the humanitarian operations, not just to, to the uh, field work that we do and seeing if what we're doing is having an impact. It's in applying a proven private sector, corporate world approach management system inside the NGO world, which, which is often nervous about these types of things. Um, it's also in applying development and humanitarian principles, again, inside the organization, not just outside the organization in the work that we do. And it's about empowering and expecting employees to improve. We're, we're building the capacity of our employees to improve how they do their work, and we're expecting them to do that. We're, we're setting targets for improvement and expecting them to work better over time, improve how they do their work. And uh, as we do that, we are making the money go farther. By what we're, what we're doing, though, is we're cutting the waste. We're cutting the things that are preventing us from making progress rather than cutting the value that we're actually adding to communities who are in crisis. So to uh, summarize very briefly, lean does help us to rethink our humanitarian aid and to make it better. Thank you. So is, are there technological um, assets or new, new developments, new tools, new methods, new toys machines uh, that, that could aid your particular work? I mean, if there's a technology to get people to be kinder to each other, that would be a great place to start. Um, transportation is one of the primary challenges that we have. So getting goods from one place to another, getting people, for, the, for that matter, from one place to another as well. Uh, the communication infrastructure also is a big challenge to us. So why, you know, internet capabilities, uh, those types of things. Um, Medical, obviously, if there were medical developments that would, and I know they're being made progress um, even now in you know, a vaccine or something to prevent malaria, those types of things which would get rid of waterborne, help us reduce waterborne diseases, that's a primary challenge. So um, I don't know if there's one silver bullet that comes to my mind, uh, but there are a variety of things that we definitely would benefit from the greater technological advancements as well. Lean has been criticized during the COVID pandemic when there were stockouts. Just in time was considered, the, was given the blame as the factor for low stocks. How can we tackle these issues, Andrew? Is this a, is this a solution or is this a problem? Well, I know you can talk about this one also. Maybe you have something to add uh, to what I say. Um, so Lean helps an organization become more flexible, more adaptable, more able to respond quickly to shocks to the system. And certainly COVID-19 restrictions are a huge shock to the system. Um, yes, uh, the goal is to reduce your, your inventory in order to make, again, make the organization more efficient. If, if an organization is ready and able to respond to shocks, then they will be able to respond to, 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 to COVID-19. So, um, it's made organizations more flexible. The thing is, having a supplier in China um, a long ways away is actually not a terribly lean thing to do. So uh, rather, having uh, the supply chain closer to you, so if you look at Toyota and where, where do most of the parts, uh, parts suppliers uh, in, a to in a Toyota factory, are, where are they located? They're mostly located around the actual factory itself. So they're actually practicing what, they, what they're preaching. They also have strategic stocks, which is something that's not talked about so much here. There are strategic stocks that, that the companies do have in order to address the potential crises that may, that may occur. And those, um, those will then help them through. But if, if you can 
quickly start up somewhere else, another supplier closer by because you know what the design of the part is, you know how to produce it, and you can get another, another vendor up and running quickly, that is going to make you more flexible and not so liable to uh, stockouts. But it's a matter of fact that um, a, lot, a huge problem is that uh, all the um, donations from the countries are mostly bound to certain projects and the NGOs don't have like um, a lot of access to it or can't decide uh, where to put it. And I wonder how your opinion is, um, how much of an impact has um, changing the internal system considering that? Yeah, and I would say part of the solution to that is for the institutional donors to have the understanding that life, life in the field changes and there are, there are these things that are unpredictable. We don't know how, how things will progress over the year. You know, COVID may strike us and we need to respond to a different crisis than we thought that we originally had or their floods come or, or whatever it is. Um, I mean, in my experience, our donors are as flexible, I mean, try to be quite flexible. Um, they have a certain commitment, you know, they have to be responsible to the taxpayers, the taxpayers give, give, you know, give the money and they say, look, you're going to feed this many people, you're going to try and reduce the instance of waterborne disease by, by this much, <clears throat> and you know, that's what we work towards. Um, I'll say on the other, on the other hand, um, there, there is a benefit to having a goal, to, you know, something that we're working towards, something hard, because the alternative would be, well, here, just go and do good, uh, but if we don't have targets, if we don't have specific objectives, um, honestly, maybe we might not spend that as, we might not work as hard as we otherwise might in order to achieve those specific goals. And if, if, you, if you remember the, the chart up front, the unmet need is huge and this, the met need is actually quite small. So even if we're you know, not meeting, we're never going to meet all the unmet need. We're all, always only going to meet a part of it. Um, is that the, you know, the most absolutely most important part? We don't know. Um, you know, we, we try to find that, that's what we try and propose to the institutional donors and we work on that. And then when things change, we do ask them, can we change this, can we modify this? And, and when, when COVID came around, we saw that most of the institutional donors were ready, very ready and willing to modify, to say, yes, you can do this, propose us what you want to do differently, change your targets, change how you, your budget proposal, you know, give us a new thing. And most of them were, were quite willing and flexible to, to work with us on that. So. Um, I think it's not all bad. There are challenges that, that it creates, but um, there's also some good, some good side of it, that um, having specific objectives and working to achieve those is something that motivates an organization to perform well in spite of the, uh, the, the crises. We have a question from cyberspace. And it comes from Gaurav. He said, currently, where supply chains are failing as an effective post-pandemic, we're almost done, by the way, we're out of time. Um, it, so he says that supply chains are failing in the pandemic. Isn't it the best time to develop chains with partnerships of NGOs and corporates, so public-private partnerships? What is your opinion on that? The thing that brought me to moving to uh, Kenya, I lived in Kenya for three years working in East Africa, and it was because I shared some of these ideas with the actual people who were doing the work. This was back when I was in World Vision. And they said, Andrew, this is new to us. This is exciting. Come and tell us about this. Teach us how to do these things that you're talking about. They were actually eager. So the <clears throat> there, was, there was genuine interest. And when, my favorite thing is when I teach, train someone, give them, you know, the light bulb goes on, so to speak. And they are thinking scientifically about their work. They are 
applying, you know, plan, do, check, act. They're making their work better and they're sharing that with, with others. Um, the, the barrier is rather the organization has too many good things that they want to do. And when the leaders don't know about lean, about the scientific approach, and they comply with what they're doing in the field inside, um, then it just it gets delegated, it gets deprioritized, and it doesn't really make the progress. So it's, it's, the people are, themselves get excited about it, they want to do it, but the organization needs to buy into it, commit to it, and, and make, make it happen. If you like this topic, please check out the Lean Six Sigma for Good book series with the subtitle Lessons from the Gemba. We have recently released volume two in paperback and ebook, and we will have the audiobook ready later in 2023. Volume one is already available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Within each volume, there are eight chapters written by different Lean Six Sigma practitioners who have applied their skills to nonprofits, NGOs, not for profit organizations, and government agencies. Proceeds from the book sales are split evenly and go to the nonprofit selected by each author. Go to LeanSixSigmaForGood.com or search Amazon for Lean Six Sigma For Good to find the book series. These books make a great gift for your process improvement team or someone you know who works at a not-for-profit organization.